Let me tell you about what you see. So you see a woman who's larger than life. That's really the best depiction of this woman, larger than life. She takes up space physically. She takes up space with her presence. You see a woman who does things on her own terms, who shows up when she wants to, who starts to perform when she wants to. She pushes back on what is expected of her until it happens on her own terms. You see this, this big character. Yet, this is not acting that you want to take at face value, and Oprah knows this. So she asks Viola, what is the character living for? And please take a note of that question. Like, I think I stopped the car when I heard that question. What is the character living for? And Viola Davis said, value. She is fighting for her worth. I believe there are two ways to look at your career. One is like it's a minefield, filled with devices put there by others, expectations, constraints, bias, pressure, glass ceilings, glass cliffs. Or the other is that it's a playing field and you can master the game with tools, mindset, support, communities, and a powerful stance that helps you own your story, take your place, and step into your power. While the former certainly is rooted in a lot of systemic realities, this podcast, it's about the latter. This podcast is about us, as women, doing our thing to make our career our very own playing field. Welcome to Speaking with Women. I'm your host, BBG Hailey. I'm a serial entrepreneur and the mom of one, a third culture kid, a career and personal branding advisor, and I am pretty obsessed with helping women step into their professional power. So I invite you to join me and let's step into our power together. After listening to Oprah interview Viola Davis for her depiction of Marine, the mother of the blues, I went and I watched the movie Marine's Black Bottom. It's actually a play. You can feel it when you watch it, the way it's set up, that it's a play. So I watched it and then I went back and I listened to the episode again. If you want to think about the importance of narratives and of owning them in whichever capacity, I really encourage you to watch that movie and to listen to the interview. They go hand in hand. Do both. I'd like to share a quote from Viola Davis's conversation with Oprah. But before I do, let me tell you a little bit about the character of Marine. I won't go into too much depth because I won't do her justice. I think that combination of interview plus movie is where you'll get what you need to understand this character. But let me tell you about what you see. So you see a woman who's larger than life. That's really the best depiction of this woman, larger than life. She takes up space physically. She takes up space with her presence. You see a woman who does things on her own terms, who shows up when she wants to, who starts to perform when she wants to. She pushes back on what is expected of her until it happens on her own terms. You see this, this big character. Yet, this is not acting that you want to take at face value, and Oprah knows this. So she asks Viola, what is the character living for? And please take a note of that question. Like, I think I stopped the car when I heard that question. What is the character living for? And Viola Davis said, value. She is fighting for her worth. So here's the quote I was telling you about. If you just look at Marini, you would just think diva. She's a diva. She's not a diva. She's a person who very shortly after this is over is going to be rendered invisible, irrelevant. She is what Carrie Fisher said, fame is nothing but obscurity waiting to happen. She's being overshadowed by people like Bessie Smith, who she taught. She can't copyright her own material. She's with a manager who is bilking her out of money. 
She is a black woman living in America in 1927. So when you look at that and you deal with that context, then you see the sheer depth and scope of who she is. End quote. The sheer depth and scope of who she is. Do you ever wonder about the depth and scope of who you are? That movie and that interview spoke to me so deeply because truly that urge to craft, own, and shape your narrative, that urge that I call personal branding for lack of a better word, truly, it's indeed about understanding the depth and scope of grappling with it, looking it in the eye, you know, taking a deep breath and sort of pushing your shoulders back and showing yourself to the world on your own terms, as crazy and scary as it may be. So welcome to a three-part series on personal branding. This episode is the introductory episode. I want to set the stage for what we're going to be talking about in the next few weeks. And I want to set that stage by talking about the what and also the why. This is a series in which I want to break down personal branding. And while I have my own framework, if you've ever heard a talk of mine on imposter syndrome, you know that one of my coping mechanisms of choice is over-preparation. And you know what that looks like? It looks like unearthing a literature review of what has been said on the subject. So I feel like I know everything I need to know when I come and talk to you about personal branding. And what's funny is that I didn't find the activist stand that I'm looking for in this review. It wasn't there. Well, maybe a tiny bit. They talk about agency at some point as being a key characteristic of a personal branding process. But what I was looking for was not there. Here's where I want to take the concept of personal branding. It's really just a vehicle, a vehicle to convey an idea to convey a particular way of showing up in the world, a way of showing up in the world that, truth be told, as women, we are not used to doing this. A way of showing up, which in Elizabeth Lesser's words, where we are the storytellers. So speaking of Elizabeth Lesser, I want you to pause what you're doing, which is listening to me, and maybe doing something else at the same time. But pause all of that, go on your favorite book buying application, and type Cassandra Speaks, When women are the storytellers, the human story changes. I'll wait. Here's the quote that starts her first chapter. History isn't what happened. It's who tells the story. Let me tell you, as an African woman, you have no idea how much that resonates. In fact, even as I write this, I wonder how much this passion I have for being the one to craft the narrative of my life comes from having grown up in Africa and then coming to the West for post-secondary studies and having the biggest shock and just really pure cognitive dissonance from the difference between my experience of Africa and what I heard reported in the news and in the popular discourse in the West. And by the way, I say Africa rather than a specific country because I've lived and traveled to half a dozen countries on the continent and I've grown up in a household where my father had traveled probably to all of them And still it was the same dissonance that I felt when I came here. And if you're wondering why I feel the need to be specific about countries versus the continent, for a lot of people of African descent, a major pet peeve is when the continent is substituted for the specificity of each country. So you'll hear things like, what is the education system like in Africa? That's why I wanted to be specific about the reason that I choose the term, but I digress. So coming here, I remember thinking to myself, what are they talking about? Where's the complexity? Where are the nuances? Where are the countries and cities and people that I know? In this story that is being told of the continent that I come from, how come I don't recognize myself? And how come I don't have a hold on changing the narrative? 
And so I don't know if it stems from or if it precedes this realization. You know, <laughs> maybe this is a conversation I should have with my therapist, but I am obsessed with being the owner and crafter of my narrative. And <laughs> if crafter was not a word, now it is. And I'm also obsessed with helping women be the owner and crafter of theirs. In Elizabeth Lesser's book, there is a chilling and galvanizing analysis of the way women's stories have been told for them over the course of history and how the dominant narrative has created the actual lived realities of women today. So this goes from Eve, who is seeking wisdom and autonomy, to Cassandra, who lost her mind because her truth was not heard, to Pandora, who is blamed for doing what innovators all over the world are now being celebrated for, which is curiosity. All these women did not own the narrative, but worse, the story that was told in their place has shaped your, mine, and the history and realities of generation of women. There are significant consequences to not being the one to own and tell your story. So personal branding that I'll define in a minute is not a sleazy PR activity that you can outsource. It's about reclaiming space and it's about reclaiming agency. There are monetary consequences to not doing this. There are autonomy consequences. There are well-being consequences to not doing this. And here's the other thing about personal branding for me. The women that I work with, and this is also my situation, are usually women in their 40s and 50s. We have a lot of experience and expertise. We often have families with children who are no longer totally dependent. And we've been hustling between all our obligations all our life as adult women. And yet with all this accumulated knowledge, we reach a stage where we are utterly unable to answer the question, what do I want? We hit a who am I and what do I want brick wall. Do you know, when I put out a call in my community asking the women what they were struggling with the most in their business and career, what came out number one was clarity. I don't know what my next step is. I don't know what I want. I don't know how to get started in my transition. For me, the wall was exactly that realization that I no longer even knew what I wanted. After close to a decade of marriage, a child, a home, and a consulting career, I had no idea what I wanted, what I liked. I had no hobbies, no interests. I just worked and cared for my child. And yet I had been a woman with multiple interests. I liked philosophy. I liked the blues. I liked decorating my home. I loved hosting. I was a voracious reader. I liked to dance. And here I was with no idea what I wanted, just remembering how to work. And so for a while, everything became a discovery process. And sometimes, truth be told, a creation process. I walked around with a notebook like a crazy detective and I used this hyper-focused superpower that I have to figure out what the hell I wanted from this life that I was living. You know, when you're a women's studies student, it doesn't matter what your feminist allegiance is. The first time you hear the slogan, the personal is political, you think, hell yeah, it is. And right there and then, you swear undying allegiance to the feminist cause. And the truth is, for women, Personal branding, and you can call this a stretch if you want, personal branding is a real-world 21st century application of the personal is political. The way you choose to define yourself and make it known is a subversive political act. It is activism. It is reclaiming space. It is reclaiming power. It is being unapologetic about being the one to tell your story. 
So what is this trip down personal branding lane going to look like? Today's episode is about defining the concept. Then in the next few, initially I was thinking three, it will be two or three episodes. I'm going to get really tactical with each of the three pillars of my definition. So it's like a bit of a masterclass on personal branding. It'll start from the big picture and then we're going to get really into the how-to weeds. So there'll be a little bit for everyone. If you're a big thinker, if you're like a get the bottle of wine out and let's break this baby down type of person, I got you. I'm going to be drinking Austrian Pinot Noir. But if you need a step-by-step manual, this is also the place for you. Because when we get to the three pillars, I'll go into the details on each pillar and I'll give you exercises to help you think about them for yourself. So let's start with definitions and get some agreement on the concept. You've probably heard me refer to myself as a nerd, but nowhere has this identity been truer than in the process of preparing this podcast episode, let me tell you. So I found an academic paper. Do you know what I wrote in the margins of this paper, like in the first pages? I wrote the moment I fell in love. And then I sort of (laughs) cracked up at the depth of nerding out that I was capable of. The paper is called Personal Branding, Interdisciplinary Systematic Review and Research Agenda. So you can roll your eyes if you will, but let me read you the exact moment I fell in love. Quote, as the voice of popular press on personal branding becomes increasingly pervasive, painting a consistent picture that standard work is obsolete, that self-fulfillment is a sine qua non of success, and that organizational and personal interests are diverging, Science needs to step forward to corroborate or refute such allegations. End quote. Hello, happy place. But you know what? In the interest of objectivity, although (laughs) if I'm being honest, I don't actually believe in objectivity, but in the interest of objectivity and thoroughness, I did go out and check other papers and they just made me shrug. So it's me, this lit review, and the world. So what does this paper say about personal branding? Well, number one, It sort of addresses this dispute between the, you know, people are not products or brands camp, and then the it's just reputation management camp. So marketing and or self-presentation are actually both at the root of personal branding definitions. The term seems to have emerged as early as the 1960s, but it's come out in the spotlight in the early 2000s. And I, I actually think that the development of digital platforms may not be foreign to this. What's really interesting in this review is that the authors flesh out characteristics of personal branding from what they found in the literature. So they identify five characteristics, strategic, positive, promise, person-centric, and artifactual. Let's quickly scan through each. So remember, we're talking about the characteristics of personal branding. So number one, strategic. Strategic because there's an intent behind the activity. It has an objective, and it's also aimed at a specific audience. Then you have positive. I'll quote what they say. The main objective is to establish a favorable impression. And I'll talk about this piece in a little bit because I don't actually agree with this vision. I think it's incomplete. The third part is a promise. And the promise part of it is because the anchoring in the world of marketing implies, and I quote again, the idea of signaling a promise to the target audience. Then you have person-centric. This is the one that really resonated with me. It's actually broken down into three subcomponents. Number one is agency. And this, and I quote, involves an active involvement of the subject into the process. 
So this is what makes it different from reputation management, right? Because it's an active involvement, your active involvement in the process. Number two, the second subcomponent is reflective. So reflective, and I quote again, highlights the exteriorization. One of the things with these articles is they have these words that are so hard to say without stumbling over them. So let me start again. The quote, reflective highlights the exteriorization processes where subjects are required to identify individual characteristics prior to engaging in positioning of their personal brand to the outer world. So what this is, is it's the self-awareness piece, right? You have to do the self-awareness work before you can put it out in the world. And the third subcomponent is differentiation. So here, what they're talking about is building a personal brand around a set of characteristics that are unique and desirable by the target audience. And then finally, the fifth characteristic is artifactual. And here's how they describe this. Scholars are unanimous regarding the need for a narrative and related imagery. So once they've set the stage, they go on to propose their own definition of personal branding and of a personal brand. I'm not fully aligned with it, but I really think it takes the conversation further than what, you know, we might find in popular discourse around personal branding. Things like, you know, it's, it's your reputation. It's what people say when you're not in the room, etc. So this is how they define a personal brand. A personal brand is a set of characteristics of an individual. So attributes, values, beliefs, etc rendered into a differentiated narrative and imagery with the intent of establishing a competitive advantage in the minds of the audience. They also say that personal branding, the actual process, personal branding is a strategic process of creating positioning and maintaining a positive image of oneself based on a unique combination of individual characteristics which signal a certain promise to the target audience through a differentiated narrative and imagery. Before I share my definition, I just want to bring out the couple of points on which I'm not actually aligned with their definition. First is this idea of positivity. I would want to replace that term by wholeness because the truth is not everything about us is positive and great. And we can't exclude that from our story. So those are exactly the things that we want to deeply understand so that we can integrate them in our narrative in a way that serves us, but without making a sort of travesty of positivity with them. The second piece that I'm sort of not fully aligned with is this idea of establishing a competitive advantage in the minds of the target audience. I don't disagree that this might be a key benefit of a personal brand, but I do think that the way this happens is by establishing a competitive advantage in our own mind first. It's the tranquil sort of comprehension of what makes us great and what makes us different. It's that ownership and the visibility of it that will then create the competitive advantage. It comes from inner conviction first. Okay, so now you're probably asking, you know, Bibi, what's your definition? Or maybe you aren't, but if you're still listening, I'm going to tell you. So my definition is much simpler. I define your personal brand as your story and the way you choose to tell it. The two actually go together. Your story alone is not enough. Anyone can decide to take the pieces they know of you and to weave a narrative. But your brand, the one that you craft, is your story and how you choose to tell it. And for it to serve you, there are three components to this story. And those are the three components we'll be exploring in this series. Number one, it has to be aligned, meaning that you have to have done the digging. 
the self-awareness work. You have to recognize yourself. You have to be able to name and to claim. So that's number one. Number two, it has to be valuable. So think of it as an asset. What do you have that you can use to benefit your objectives? And this is career or otherwise. So what does your network look like? What intellectual property do you have? What is your reputation like? This is where the idea of reputation becomes useful in the value, in the asset part of your brand. And number three is it has to be visible because you can have all the clarity in the world about who you are. If you don't make it known, then you don't actually have the second piece of the definition, which is the how you choose to tell it. So this means choosing and being on platforms that showcase you. Social media is great, but you know, it can be anything else. So is the written word. So are your meetings at work. So is your volunteering. So where and how are you showing up to tell that story? That aligned, valuable, visible story. So then the personal branding process becomes the process of actually uncovering that story, of making it make sense, of making an inventory or creating the artifacts, that value we were talking about, and then of putting it out in the world, which is the visibility part. So this is a bit of a shorter episode, and I know these are a lot of words to talk to you about personal branding, but I didn't call myself a personal branding activist for nothing. This process, I believe, is the best thing you can do for yourself. And that applies to anybody, not just women, but if you're a woman in the prime of her life, with all this valuable experience and expertise, I believe you owe it to yourself. It's an act of self-care. It's an act of activism. Thank you for being here with me week after week, listening to me fall so deep into these rabbit holes. This work that I'm proposing, it's not easy. I didn't even talk about all the mindset stuff and the mind chatter that you will get thrown at you when you get started. I can guarantee it. But listen to me. It is so unbelievably rewarding. You get to tell your story in your own terms. So next week, there'll be less philosophy, more tactics, as we start to talk about how you can do the self-awareness deep dive, that piece that will get us aligned. And before I leave, I want to remind you that there are a bunch of amazing, supportive women doing this work together on my private Facebook group, Regis and Beauvoir. I'll link to it in the show notes, and I really invite you to come and join us. So until the next time, gear up to be your own personal brand activist. <laughs>